But there are a few things that you can do when you're facing unexpected medical bills. One is, you know, always wait for the final bill to come through. So sometimes the hospital will send a bill to the patient and their insurer at the same time, and you'll get the bill that's the full amount that's charged to the insurer, which is usually completely upcharged to be able to, to recoup what the hospital needs to get. And so wait for that final bill to be paid and get a final amount from the hospital before paying anything. Don't get your bill and pay right away. You know, kind of sit on it and wait for the insurer to, to put in their part. What's left for you, you can always negotiate with the hospital. So you can negotiate a cash pay rate. It's always lower than the insurer paid rate, but sometimes it's even lower than your deductible or your out-of-pocket max. So always see if you can negotiate a cash pay rate, and then you can usually negotiate a payment plan as well with the hospital where you can pay over time. And there's no reason why you can't put these expenses on credit cards. Most hospitals, medical facilities will take credit cards as the form of payment, even in a payment plan. And so while healthcare spending is typically not gonna be a bonus category, it's something that you should use a high everyday spend, you know, earning system on something like Amex, Blue Business Plus, two times points per dollar, Capital One Venture X, two times points per dollar. So you're maximizing the amount that you're getting. Hey there, points people. You just heard a clip from Kelly from Points and Milestock. Kelly is a surgeon and points enthusiast based in Los Angeles. At work, she serves as a division director for her surgical field and works on projects regarding sustainability and healthcare. On the side, she loves promoting intentional award travel to prevent burnout amongst medical professionals. She's routinely called for both surgical consults and point consults by her colleagues. In this episode, Kelly and I discuss how to approach points and miles if you're facing a mountain of student loan debt, as many medical professionals do, and also how you can use medical expenses to your advantage when playing the game of points and miles. If you're just getting started with your points journey, check out the Chase Sapphire Preferred, which is the most popular card for anybody looking to get into the game of points and miles. And as always, please never apply for a card through Google. Always use your friends, family, or favorite creators' links if they have any so that you can support their work. And if you'd like to support this channel by using our links when you apply for your next card, please check out geobreezetravel.com slash cards. Additionally, check out geobreezetravel.com slash consultations for a free personalized recommendation on the best card for you based on your personal goals, budget, and lifestyle. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, a show for anyone wanting to level up their travel hacking lifestyle. I'm your host, Julia Menez. I'm a travel hacker, coach, speaker, Filipina-American ENTJ who loves solid travel gear and using shortcuts on spreadsheets. On this show, I'm on a mission to bring you travel hackers from all walks of life to help you level up your travel hacking game. We dive into credit cards, miles, points, strategy, mindset, and the secrets behind how to travel the world for next to no cost. So let's get hacking. Should I use points or money for this? That's probably one of the most common questions that we get from our listeners who want to make a redemption. And while you can calculate cents per point by dividing the cash price over the points price for a flight or hotel, sometimes it's just easier to have somebody else do the math for you. And that's where Waze comes into play. Their site shows you the points price and the cash price for an ever-growing list of points hotels and even makes recommendations on which option is mathematically the better option. Check out Waze and get a free five-day trial on premium tiers at geobreezetravel.com slash Thank you to Waze for partnering with this episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. Hey, Julia, thanks so much for having me. Of course, I'm very excited to have you here. And today we're gonna to be talking about a topic that I think impacts a lot of people either on one side of this coin or the other. So the first one is how to think about this hobby if you have a lot of student loans or a lot of debt in general, since 
you work in the medical field, I'm sure a ton of your coworkers and colleagues just start life in their professional careers with $100,000 of debt or more from different student loans. So we're gonna talk about how do you balance the hobby with that. And then also for everybody who's not in the medical field, if they do find themselves coming up against a lot of medical bills or expenses, what is the best way to kind of leverage that as a way to earn a lot of points without kind of going into debt and having to pay interest on some of those large expenses. So before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how did you get into the game of points and miles? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, where I grew up and kind of how I got into medicine and how that got into points and miles too. But I grew up in Dallas and actually our neighbor was American Airlines pilot. So even though we didn't fly much when I was a kid, we had that connection with American Airlines growing up. And I even remember my family having the American Airlines credit card back in the day and learning pretty early on that you could actually get points from using credit cards wisely. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew there was some sort of reward system that could come out of using credit card points. And I think to this day, my mom still has lifetime gold status with American, even though maybe she flies you know, once every other year. I went to undergrad in Texas and was an engineering major. I got to spend some time abroad that really develop my interest in people and other cultures. And I think there's a lot of curiosity among healthcare workers about other people and other cultures. So decided to go into medicine, also went to medical school in Texas. And in your fourth year of medical school, you apply for residency, which is your subspecialty training that you're going to do. And in my fourth year of medical school, over a two month time period, because I knew I wanted to train out of state somewhere else and live somewhere else because I had been in Texas my whole life, I applied to multiple different programs and had to travel to 14 different cities in the span of two months to interview. It's a pretty intense process. And I actually had to take out a separate loan in my last year of medical school to be able to cover all that travel. And this was a big mistake that I made that I hope people can learn from now is that maybe I made some or gained some American Airlines miles through that process, but mostly I was just looking for the cheapest flights, the cheapest hotels, not signing up for loyalty programs and not doing anything strategic uh, with how I was going about that travel and walked away from that travel essentially with nothing, no status, no significant amount of points, which today, you know, sounds kind of crazy and silly. But again, I hope that other trainees, when they go through this process, don't make the same mistakes that I did. So when you're interviewing for residency, you have to cover all of your own travel costs, because I know that when I was interviewing as a senior in college for different actuarial jobs, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll fly you out. We'll cover your hotel for a night and then you go into the office the next day and interview and then they fly you back. That is not the case with residency? That is not the case. This is kind of the crazy thing about medicine is that you are expected to cover all of your own costs. And that actually goes all the way from medical school through your residency and fellowship training and then into your attending life, which is where you're done with training and practicing as a fully licensed and certified physician. So it's something that you completely have to cover, you know, put on your own credit cards, pay for with loans. And that's why the average medical student today graduates with over $200,000 in debt. And that's just coming out of medical school. That doesn't even include undergraduate loans. So you think that 
you're going from this huge amount of debt and essentially into a residency job that's like minimum wage. Uh, you're making a minimum wage anywhere from three to 10 years and you're working so many hours, you don't necessarily have time for side hustles, side gigs, but you're still responsible for a lot of your costs, your licensing, your tests, your boarding. And a lot of times you need to live in a high cost of living area because you need to be in big cities by these major hospitals where you're training. So students and trainees have these huge amount of costs, huge amount of debt, and you know not a great way to pay for it. I think this is really why um, points and miles can be helpful for physicians. One, to offset the cost of travel. Two, to you know take away that cost later on when you're trying to offset and put money towards your loans and not spend a lot on you know, luxury travel or things like that. And then also being able to utilize the high expenses as you go along, putting those on the right credit cards and optimizing your spend, you know, can really lead to these great experiences later on. When you are just starting out either as a resident or as you say, like the minimum wage starting years, are you able to pay off these loan payments and earn points on that at all? Your loans are, there's a couple different systems for paying back your loans. A lot of times you're not able to make the full payment because of the high amount and the, the high interest rates on student loans. So you might be on an income-based repayment plan, but a lot of times you're not able to use credit cards to make these payments. You know, this is something that's going to come out of your salary or come later down the road. But you can use credit cards for a lot of other things. And now we have rent that you can put on credit cards, which I think is hugely helpful for trainees and students. You have all of your licensing and credentialing fees, which sometimes can be $1,000 a year that you can put on credit cards and earn points. And there's always going to be travel that you need to do, even if you're interviewing virtually, which a lot of our interviews have gone virtual since COVID, which I think helps save a lot of money. But there's still a lot of travel that needs to be done for things like rotations, conferences, and even the tests that we have to do nationally. A lot of times you have to fly to a center to take those boards. So these are areas where you'll still be, you know, having high expenses, able to make those sign up bonuses, you know, earn those points on your credit cards. But you could be using those to offset the cost of what you're not going to get reimbursed for. So when you're first starting out and you're sitting on a mountain, of student debt and you're not making nearly as much as people think that you're making because everybody's like, oh, well, you make a doctor's salary, you make a surgeon's salary. That's generally not the case. So how is the usual like money mindset and just balancing of credit cards working with all of this? Do most students in the medical field know about how to do budgets, about how to stay out of debt or is there a pervasive problem of, oh, well, now I kind of make a doctor's salary, but I kind of have $100,000 of loans, so let's YOLO, it'll be fine because I make a high <laughs> salary. Like, how does that usually work and what's the normal mindset in the medical community? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that doctors don't have the best reputation when it comes to finances. I think a lot of us have high incomes or high salaries, but really low wealth. And part of that is starting with a huge amount of debt. And the other part of it is starting 10 to 20 years beyond when most people start beginning their careers and beginning to accumulate wealth. So there is a little bit of that mindset 
that debt becomes like monopoly money. Well, I have so much. Why don't I just put a little bit more on the pile? It doesn't really matter anyway. And then there's the other mindset. Well, I've worked really hard for a long amount of time and I deserve to have these things. I deserve the house, the car, the fancy vacations. Now it's catching up to us. It's catching up to our profession. There's a huge amount of burnout in medicine. I think in 2021, over 60% of doctors reported symptoms of burnout. And doctors also don't take a lot of their vacation. I think the average vacation time for most physicians is between five and seven weeks a year. That's a pretty good amount of time. But the average physician takes less than two weeks per year. So some of that comes from the feeling of being trapped, that you have such a high amount of debt and you're so far behind that you do need this really high income to be able to catch up or have these experiences that you want to have. As there's more and more interest in personal finance for physicians, I think there's a positive thing coming out of that is, you know, really trying to not inflate your lifestyle. If we know how to live like a student and on a minimum wage salary for a long amount of time, we know how to do it when we have a high income too. And then using that income to pay down your debt you know, offset those costs and start storing things away for later so that you do have a really bright future, a bright financial future. And for me, points and miles, I never think travel is free, but I do think points and miles help offset the cost of vacations that truly I wouldn't be able to afford. But these beautiful experiences that now I get to enjoy because I have this knowledge of points and miles. So I was able to pay off my loan some years ago, and that has allowed me to continue to sock away, but learn how to live frugally, modestly, and then be able to have those experiences you know, that I want to have. When you were first getting started with the game, so I know you mentioned your neighbor was with American Airlines, so you already knew about all of this. What were your first cards that you started with? Yeah, well, actually, I didn't get fully into it until much later. So I have to acknowledge my P2, essentially through her corporate job is how I learned about points and miles. So she works in the footwear industry and travels a lot internationally, particularly to, to Southeast Asia. I think it was in 2015, you know, she was starting to tell me about travel. And I think when you do it through the corporate side or you learn it maybe from corporate America, you learn these things, you learn what status is, you know what lounges are, you've seen a business class seat before, which I had never seen. And so she would tell me about these things and I thought they were really amazing. And as we traveled, always in economy, you know, sometimes we would have lounge access if we were traveling internationally. So that was nice. And then one year she was, you know, had American platinum status and it was at the very end of the year and she was offered a buy up to executive platinum status. I think it was like a thousand dollars. And, you know, at that time, a thousand dollars is a lot of money. How can executive platinum status, you know, confer such great benefits that it's worth spending a thousand dollars on, you know, should we do this? And so I started searching on the internet and Google and, and the points guy came up and I think he had an article exactly about this question. And this was the first time I had read anything about this and really went down a rabbit hole. I think spent eight hours, you know, reading through his articles on his website that day. And we decided to do the buy up to executive platinum and then started kind of reaping the benefits from there. But a couple of the, the first cards that I had when I really started getting into the hobby was the Chase Sapphire Preferred, which was my first transferable points card. I Even though I had some 
knowledge about AA and loyal uh, in status. Now it's loyalty points, wasn't at the time. I had never seen transferable points, didn't really know what those were about, what to do with them. So I thought the, the chase card was really helpful at first, because I think when you're first starting out, particularly if you need to save money, the chase card has the portal. And so we're able to, you can actually take some free trips when you're completely offsetting the costs through the portal. So I started using the portal and then she was staying at a lot of SPG hotels, RIP, SPG. So we had the SPG card and we're putting a lot of our spin on the SPG card and really finding that valuable for redeeming nights when we traveled. So that's how I got started. That was the end of 2015. And I think in 2016, I saw how it really paid off. We were flying back to Boston from London. I just run the London Marathon. It was, we had a great time. We were flying back on British Airways and economy and kind of just negotiating over who would sit in the middle seat. And then as we're boarding, you know, got stopped and said, oh, you've been upgraded to a club world seat. We had an equipment change. And this was my, you know, first ever time in a life flat seat. It was one of those amazing moments where you like scan your boarding pass and we're like, stop. <laughs> and we're like, what's the matter? Like, oh, here's your new boarding pass. You're sitting in club world. And that was my first time in a life flat, you know, business seat. And ever since then, I've been hooked. And, you know, once you fly it, you really can't go back. So since then, I've really expanded my portfolio because I believe, again, for a physician with very high expenses in maximizing every dollar that you spend. So really trying to optimize every bonus category and make everyday spend earn at least 1.5 points per dollar, per, preferably two points per dollar, so that I'm just accumulating a huge amount of points, really just through spend. Sign up bonuses are great, you know, referral bonuses are great, shopping portals are great. There's lots of ways to get bonuses, but I think the real meat of it, especially for physicians and people with high expenses, comes from just optimizing every single category of where you put your money. And speaking of maximizing dollar spent for high expenses, let's talk a little bit about when people have medical expenses, which can sometimes be elective if you already know that you want to have a procedure done or you already know that something's coming up, or sometimes it just comes out of nowhere. And then suddenly you're looking at your medical bills and it is thousands upon thousands of dollars. Can you talk about some ways that people can one, maximize that with credit cards, but then also, are there ways to negotiate these down or not have to pay the thousands of dollars if it's not completely necessary to do so? Yeah, absolutely. Let me just start by saying I apologize on behalf of probably most physicians who agree with everybody else in the country that our healthcare system has a lot of problems and we fight with the insurance companies, I think, as much as patients do. So just to put that out there, but there are a few things that you can do when you're facing unexpected medical bills. One is, you know, always wait for the final bill to come through. So sometimes the hospital will send a bill to the patient and their insurer at the same time. And you'll get the bill that's the full amount that's charged to the insurer, which is usually completely upcharged to be able to, to recoup what the hospital needs to get. And so wait for that final bill to be paid and get a final amount from the hospital before paying anything. Don't get your bill and pay right away. You know, kind of sit on it and wait for the insurer to 
to put in their part. What's left for you, you can always negotiate with the hospital. So you can negotiate a cash pay rate. It's always lower than the insurer paid rate, but sometimes it's even lower than your deductible or your out-of-pocket max. So always see if you can negotiate a cash pay rate. And then you can usually negotiate a payment plan as well with the hospital where you can pay over time. And there's no reason why you can't put these expenses on credit cards. Most hospitals, medical facilities will take credit cards as the form of payment, even in a payment plan. And so while healthcare spending is typically not going to be a bonus category, it's something that you should use a high everyday spend, you know, earning system on something like Amex, Blue Business Plus, two times points per dollar, Capital One Venture X, two times points per dollar. So you're maximizing the amount that you're getting. But yeah, always talk to the hospital, always get an itemized bill. And talk to your physician as well. Sometimes things are misbilled and your physician can correct some things. They might not be able to correct everything and they might not be able to bring it down to something that is reasonable, but definitely negotiate with the hospital and, and at least put yourself on a payment plan. Those are always options for you. It can be scary when you're facing a health crisis and a large bill. So make sure that you know what options are available to you and don't go through it alone. Those are great tips, especially asking for an itemized bill because you guys would be amazed how often things are just double charged or sometimes quadruple charged. Obviously I come from an insurance background on the actuary side and there are so many claims where not really from malintent. It just happens where systems fail and then things get double charged, quadruple charged. And then we say, hey, did you have four lungs in this <laughs> surgery? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, obviously that is double charged. And so that will knock down a lot of the cost right away is just finding items like that. But then another thing that you guys can do is once you've negotiated how much is actually going to be paid, you can put that on a credit card. You can figure out a payment plan where if it's unfortunately like a $12,000 bill, you can say, hey, can we split this over four months? I'll pay $3,000 each month. That is a new minimum spend every month. So you could get four sign-up bonuses back to back to back to back. And save all those receipts where you pay them on your credit card. Because if you have an HSA through work, you can submit for reimbursement on any medical costs for your HSA and then just have your HSA pay you out. And it doesn't have to be within a certain time frame. You can keep all of this in a Google Drive, keep all medical receipts from the history of your life, and then wait until you're 65 or whatever. And your HSA has just been accumulating interest all those years and then pay yourself out later if you want to do that. So that's an option as well. I've heard of some people who say, oh, instead of like going through their insurer first, they'll say, I'll pay it first, put all of it on my credit card, and then submit for indemnification from your insurer. You could do that. It is a mountain of paperwork. I personally would not, because you're then talking tens of thousands of dollars instead of just thousands of dollars, because customer cost share is a small percentage of the actual full medical bill. So, I mean, I guess if you wanted to put $30,000 onto your credit card and then fight with your insurer to get that indemnified and paid back, you could. I would not recommend it. That seems like one step further than I would personally go. I would just go the HSA route. But 
it is something that I've heard people do as well. I agree with that last point to to not fight afterwards uh, with the insurer. And that's something that I personally don't like uh, my patients to do. And, and if there's a way around it, I always say, let's get this authorized up front, make sure that we have a clear amount that's going to be paid for, and then you can deal with any out-of-pocket on the back end. But I would not recommend paying up front and then asking, you know, your insurer uh, <laughs> to approve it after the fact, knowing how hard it is for us to get things approved up front. And then a great point on the HSA. Another thing, if you if you have the opportunity to use an HSA, even if you're young and healthy and don't have a lot of medical bills right now, put it aside for the future. Like you said, you can pay off those medical bills at any time. You can use your HSA to pay for Medicare payments later on and healthcare costs later on when those things are going to go up. So what I love about points and miles is that it falls into personal finance, which also falls into healthcare finance because all of us are going to have to deal with it eventually. And so I really love all of these ways of thinking about different things and expenses as opportunities and then ways to offset those costs later on. It's especially useful if you have elective surgeries where obviously emergencies happen all the time in healthcare. But for example, I had corrective eye surgery, which I knew exactly when that appointment was gonna happen. So I opened up, I think a Hilton Surpass card and I mean, trigger warning for anybody who gets grossed out because I'm about to describe a very weird <laughs> surgery right now. So my eyesight was so bad that I went in for a free LASIK consultation and I thought it was like the free consultations like, oh, everybody qualifies for LASIK. Here's how much it costs for LASIK where it's just basically a sales call, but it absolutely wasn't. They were like, your eyes are too far gone. <laughs> and if we should to fix them into your eyes, your corneas will collapse. So I'm like, what can be done? So they were like, well, there's this thing called ICL surgery, which is like a implantable columnar lens. I just call it the implanted contact lens surgery. They drilled holes in my eyes and then they popped contact lenses subcornea. So I have permanent contact lenses. I have these like bionic eyeballs for anybody who doesn't know. And that is much, much more expensive than LASIK, but that, that was my option. So I got a free hill tonight out of it. We went to the Grand Wailea in Maui, Waldorf Astoria. It was a great hotel and I could see so many islands from our amazing upgraded balcony with my bionic eyeballs. I don't think the surgery was 15,000, but with that and like some other stuff, I got to the 15,000 really quickly. So if you have some kind of surgery like that, where you know it's gonna cost quite a bit, then you can use Hilton Surpass. You could get pretty quick Hyatt status and a lot of Hyatt Elite Nights if you put that on a Hyatt credit card. You could put it on an American Airlines credit card, get a lot of loyalty points, get some AA status that way. You could put it on a Southwest card, get closer to Companion Pass, depending when in the year the, these surgeries are going to hit. So you have a lot of different options if you're like, I don't want to open four cards for this $12,000 procedure. No, I love that like mindset that like, oh, this uh, expense is leading to something good. And I love that you use your free night and then you, and your new eyeballs and you could see really well. And eye surgeons are special, you know, they can really handle some gross stuff that the rest of us can't. And they would probably say the same thing about us. But there was no blood I, involved. 
Yeah, there, there is no blood involved with the eye surgery, which is, which, there's just other things involved, but mostly the eyeball. And for anybody wondering, that surgery was not covered by insurance at all. It was completely out of pocket. Mm -hmm. It was not deemed medically necessary. Even though I was blind AF, they were like, no, you're on your own. Vision insurance covers glasses and contact lenses, but not the corrective surgery. So that was just out of pocket. But then I have all those receipts saved somewhere in a Google Drive where I will reimburse myself later with HSA money. So you can do that even with procedures that aren't deemed medically necessary. Yeah, 100%. There's still procedures. There's a lot that's not deemed medically necessary, maybe because it wasn't an emergency. You didn't have to be admitted to the hospital for it, but it was still really important care to get. And so definitely save your receipts and then ask what you have and what you have the opportunity to get. So ask if your insurance plan allows for an HSA, ask your employer if you have an FSA. Now FSAs, you typically can't roll over at least the full amount or most of the amount in the FSA. But if you know you have something coming up, if you know you're planning on a quote unquote elective surgery, you can contribute to that pay on your credit card, keep the receipts, and then get yourself reimbursed. And that's all pre-tax money. So these are ways that you can save on healthcare. You can get the benefit of the credit cards. Maybe you're doing sign-up bonuses. Maybe you're just using an everyday card and you're getting a high amount of points on something that way. And you're able to save money on the inevitable, which is paying for healthcare. Yeah, with the FSAs too, the flexible spending accounts, those don't roll over, but they are pre-tax and you can do it for elective surgery, but also a very popular use case is when people find out that they're pregnant because you know that's going to cost your firstborn, basically. It's going <laughs> to yes. be very expensive <laughs> to have a child. Yes. A lot of people will load up their flexible spending accounts so that it's all pre-tax dollars because they know they're going to spend it that year anyway, and they know it's not going to roll over from year to year. Definitely open some credit cards that year, open some high sign up bonus, spend Amex Platinums, business Amex Platinums, you know, to get those huge amount of points because you know you have those bills coming and then plan for them. You know, save a little bit every month, even if you don't have a, a pre-tax option for saving, save a little bit every month so that you can pay off those credit card bills in full. Yeah, always stick to rule number one, pay off your bills in full every month. Never pay any interest on these credit cards because they are high. That's part of how they can afford to give out such good rewards as banks are kind of assuming you're not going to pay it off in full. But as long as you do, then you're kind of winning at the game. But yeah, I always tell people, if you're working on a new minimum spend, have that amount ready to go in your checking account for when you pay the bill. Don't be like, oh, I'll open a new card and then start saving $3,000 while spending $3,000. Just make sure you have the three grand ready to go as kind of a prerequisite before you start opening new cards. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think for, for people like medical students who may have loan checks coming, some schools will allow you to pay tuition and fees on the credit card. So you can actually put a high amount of spin on the credit card if you have the credit limit to do so. But then you want to turn around and use your loan to pay that off immediately. Like you said, any interest that you pay on these cards is going to completely wipe out the value of what you're gaining. And if that's what you need to do, if you need to pay off a card over time, then it would be better to go for a 0% APR option, pay that off, build up your credit, 
and then go into the travel rewards cards. How much are the interest rates on these loans normally? They're usually federal loans. So for example, when I started in medical school, they were around 1%, but they're really volatile. And when I graduated medical school, it was close to 7%. So it's really hard to even plan for, yeah, how you're going to gonna pay. So a lot of us consolidate uh, after we finish. And, um, you know, if you keep it with, within federal programs, you have a lot more available to you, but sometimes you can get much lower rates through private banks, but then you really are on the hook and there's not gonna be any loan forgiveness or repayment programs available. Oh God, 7%. 7% when I finished medical school and it's stayed pretty high up since then. And so you can imagine that compounding through your training, you have to be really, really good at living frugally. And we just have to do it. And I don't think it's okay to get used to that debt. We do have to learn how to pay it off or save on the side to be able to pay it off. And then not wanting to completely delay these experiences, you know, getting to see the world, but doing so in a way that is not going to take away from your bottom line. That's not going to really set you back and put you into more debt that just really doesn't seem worth it. Can you talk a little bit about just, you mentioned so many physicians and other people in the medical field have been experiencing burnout, just the benefits of stepping away for a little bit, taking a vacation on points and miles, not having it impact your wallet. <laughs> Is that just like a magical cure for mental health or what? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wish there was a magical cure for anything. I guess for me, it's as close as it gets, but really being able to disconnect, to set those boundaries so that you're not still continuing to think about work while you go experience something else. And then for me, I really want to maximize every second that I'm off. So even from leaving, you know, going to the airport, I want to be in the lounge so that I'm comfortable. I want to be in a nice seat so that I'm comfortable, so that I'm really enjoying and resting every second that I'm away, as opposed to, okay, well, if I can just get there, okay, if I can just get through this flight and, and get to these places, and th then maybe I can start to relax. And then maybe you've got three days and then you got to turn around and come back. Like I said, healthcare workers, I think have a lot of curiosity about the world and people in the world. And so being able to go out and explore that and know that it's not affecting your pocketbook, that you're still being able to make your loan payments or that you you saved for these expenses and now you're getting to experience that. There is some happiness. I think there's a lot of happiness in delayed gratification, which is medicine in a nutshell. But then being able to really separate yourself, experience something new. And if you can do it on points and miles, I always plan things about a year in advance. And so to me, those experiences are, I'm really looking forward to them. I get a lot of joy through the planning process, through the booking process, and then the going process. I think all of it brings me joy, gives me something to look forward to. So when I'm experiencing signs of burnout or I'm working really hard, I know that there's something coming down the road that's going to bring me a lot of joy. And I hope that my colleagues can, can do the same. I hope that they can take their time off, that they can take their vacation. And if they don't necessarily have the means to do the biggest blowout vacation they've ever imagined, they at least can develop some skills for points and miles 
to have those experiences that that bring them rest. I think that's completely relatable in any field, even outside of the medical field where everybody feels burnout, everybody should take their PTO days. That's part of your yearly compensation for anybody who works a W-2 job, take your vacation days. And for anybody who doesn't work a W-2 job, make some vacation days. I keep telling <laughs> myself to do that. And my husband tells me to do that. And when we go on quote vacations, he's like, well, she's still working and I am now her photographer employee. So we try to build in <laughs> some time where it's not just creating content and we can actually relax on vacation a little bit. It's something that I'm, I'm still working on, but very relatable for anybody else hearing that message is to take, take the time. And it's a lot easier to do that when you don't have to worry about going into debt, going vacation or like, oh my God, how am I gonna afford any of this? How can I afford to step away? Points and miles can really help work wonders there. You're right. This is relatable in every field. I think especially post COVID where the lines between work and home life have become even more blurred in every field now and not just ones where you bring it home with you like medicine. And as an actuary, you could probably calculate the exact value of taking time <laughs> off for yourself and what, you know, what kind of productivity that brings you on the other side. But I do think, yeah, it's people when they have downtime tend to be very creative or at least in my personal opinion, tend to regain creativity and ideas that sometimes you really just can't see in the moment of working. I think a lot of people say, I plan my next vacation while I'm on vacation. Well, to me, that makes a lot of sense. It's not that you're not living in the moment. It's that you're the most creative and optimistic about time when you're on vacation. I can't think about something when I'm you know, in the depths of work. So PTO is part of your salary. A lot of physicians are salaried. And if you are not taking your time off, then you are missing out on part of your compensation. And you've worked really hard to get to this point. So you want to take every opportunity available to you. I love that. And that was such a great piece of advice. I don't know if you can top it, but what would you say is your best piece of advice that you have learned throughout your whole points journey? Yeah, I think it goes back to my mistake, which is don't let any mile go you know, unearned. If you travel somewhere, you stay somewhere. If you're going for your conference, your boards for an interview, earn those points. Get something out of it. Sign up for every loyalty program possible and keep track of your points so that you can use those later on for your own benefit. It's hard work to travel. It's not easy to go, you know, for a weekend, go take a test and turn around and come back home. That's hard work. Get something out of it that's personal for you on the other side. Absolutely. Great advice. And speaking of great advice, can you give a shout out to somebody else on the internet who you would recommend listeners go follow for even more Points and Miles content? Yeah, there's two I really enjoy. Travel Points and Views is another elder millennial like me and newer to Instagram, but feel like she's been really helpful in helping me with showing great examples of content. She's based in Fort Lauderdale. And so she does a lot of information, informational posts about JetBlue and travel around Florida. And then also value is travel on Instagram. He's a stay-at-home dad. I think he has really great analytical carousels that I always learn a lot from. Uh, so those are just two, but really thankful to the entire travel hacker community for sharing their tips. People like me and 
in medicine and other fields who don't travel on the corporate dime have to learn this stuff on our own. And so this is the travel hacker community is, is so helpful to all of us. So thanks to everybody for, for what you do. And where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm at points and miles doc on Instagram. I wanted to create an outlet for sharing information with other healthcare professionals and physicians in particular. And I don't necessarily have time for a blog and Twitter's too limited in the character count. So I thought Instagram would be a, a good way to share. So come find me there, come engage and happy to talk to you about how you can use credit cards as a medical student or resident or an attending physician. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on to the show today. This was such a useful episode, both for anybody in the healthcare profession, but also anybody who just has to engage with the healthcare industry, which is literally everybody, or it should be everyone because go see a doctor. Go see your primary care doctors. They'll keep you safe. Get your vaccine so that you can travel safely. Don't get sick while you travel. Be smart and stay out of the hospital right now because you know these surges keep coming back. So you want to stay healthy, uh, be smart, and stay up to date. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming onto the show. Yeah, thanks, Julia, for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast. If any of the cards mentioned in today's episode piqued your interest, please check out the links in the show notes for more information on any of the cards. Also, if you apply for a card using the links on that page, I may receive a commission too, so please and thank you. P.S. I hear the links work better in Internet Explorer or Safari, and sometimes the credit card applications tend to glitch out in Chrome. Additionally, it would mean the world to me if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star review, and share it with a friend. And if you would like to make even more travel hacking friends, please sign up for the Patreon to access our monthly masterclass hangouts. We dive deep into a particular points program each month, and you'll get to ask all of your travel hacking questions and enjoy being around other people who enjoy points and miles just as much as you and I do. If you would like an invite to the next one, head over to geobreezetravel.com slash hangouts to sign up to be on the invite list. Take care and happy travels.